So now we're going to come to the end of our three-part series in Acts chapter 15. And we started with the issue of circumcision and whether or not it was required for salvation. The church had seen a false teaching that had come in and they had to address it. Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to consult with the council there. And when Paul and Barnabas had gone back to them for counsel on this issue, we saw that there was some disagreement. Um, we looked at book, the book of Galatians in chapter 2, where Paul recounts um, his being upset with Peter and James over this issue. Paul had Paul thought that they really didn't stand up to the Judaizers in Jerusalem to stop them from going further than what they had. Today we're going to look at the third part in this series, which is a letter from Jerusalem Council to the people in Galatia and the Antioch region. This is where the, the Judaizers had spread their heresy. Um, of circumcision being required for salvation. And then they threw on there the additional 613 laws of Moses that they thought needed to be followed as well. So there was a need to address this because they didn't want the confusion of false teaching in the church. Um, we're going to break this section down into three parts. We're going to look at the council's authority. We're going to look at the council's decision. And then we're going to look at the council's effect. So let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to continue reading starting in verse 22. Give you guys a second. Smartphones do great things too. Look at you guys waving them up. All right. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to select men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two leaders among the brothers, and they sent them with this letter. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. It has come to our attention that some went out from us without our authorization and unsettled your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose men to send you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to tell you in person the same things we are writing you. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these essential requirements. You must abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they assembled the congregation and delivered the letter. When the people read it, they rejoiced as, at its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers in peace to return to those who had sent them. 
But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch along with many others, teaching the Lord, and preaching the word of the Lord. When we look at the authority of the council, we have to look at who was there. Who made up the council? Why did what they say matter? Today we have pastors and leaders all over the, all over the world that teach things that are wrong every day. We have teachers and pastors that teach things that are right as well, but the wrong is always focused because it draws people from the truth. Same as in their day, that's what we talked about the last two weeks. Since the council happened in 50 AD, we had people that walked and talked with Jesus and understood what his desire was. There's some debate as to when Christ died. Some say 30 AD, some say 33. I would lean towards 33. So let's just say that this council was 17 years after his death, okay? The members of the council would be very close to the author's original intent for Christianity. These guys walked and talked with Jesus, so they understood what he wanted. Our text today says that the people of the council were apostles and elders. So these were hand-selected by Jesus himself and then people that they trained. As I mentioned last week, we could never have an ecumenical council today because, quite frankly, who would be the authority? There are so, there's some that are considered to be heavyweights in our church today. Um, but would all the people listen to him and agree? And if they made a decision, would it be based on biblical truth? I'm going to tell you, no way. People would not. You, you have such division in the multiculturalism in the, in the divisions in the church that there's no way that they would all agree especially under one guy, but even a group of guys that came together, um, there's no way that that would happen. It, mostly because people can't even agree on what truth is. My lovely wife, who's not here so I can talk about her, she reminded me of something last week. People make arguments all the time that theologians and big-named Christian people throughout history have had different biblical positions on things, and they've been arguing about these things for years and years, and they, they, they've interpreted Scripture differently. And I'm going to tell you right now, I will stick to this position as long as I live. It doesn't make them right. Just because somebody holds a position and they're smart and they know their Bible does not make them right. If I have an audience of 10,000 people or 10 million people and I interpret Scripture wrong, that just means that now we have 10,001 people or 10, 000, or 10 million and one people who are wrong. That's all that means. We don't base truth on the number of people that believe it, and we don't base it on popularity of the person. 
That is not how we base truth. We base it on Scripture. We base it on, can we back what we just said by what God's Word says? Can we back it on proper exegesis? These men had authority because they heard it from Christ himself. That's why this Jerusalem council has the authority that it does. They heard the word from the word. Kids, how many of you guys, I don't know, you guys might be too young. How many of you guys have ever played that game where you stand in a circle and you, parents have played this too, where you stand in a circle and one person like whispers a sentence into your ear and then you go around the, the circle and you like continue the sentence, you continue spreading the sentence till it gets back to the original person, so on and so on, right? When you get back to the original person, the sentence is almost nothing like what it was originally, right? Who has the authority on what was said? The original person who said it. So you had the one who said the original sentence, Jesus Christ. You had these people that heard him say the original sentence. That's why they had the authority. The rest of the people just watered it down and changed it. Think about even with the, the context of what we're saying today in, in the book of Acts, Jesus Christ said something. You had people who were the Judaizers that were going out and saying something completely different. Why? Because they'd heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody, and they didn't they weren't paying attention to what the original author said. And a lot of times there's a thing called eisegesis. It's a big fancy word that basically means that I take the, the word that God wrote in Scripture and I put what I, I add to it what I think it means. So if you say, a perfect example of that would be like John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? There's a, a group of people called universalists that, mean, that basically take that to mean nobody should ever die. We'll all have everlasting life. That's not what that scripture means. So if you exegete it, if you pull it in context into the rest, you could go a couple of verses past that, and you'll see that that's not what he's saying. But people will take that to mean what they want. We have to look at who originally said the sentence. Like I said last week, that's how we get from one church to 4,000 denominations in Christianity. Because people change it, they eisegete what they want to into the scripture, they make a complete doctrine around that idea, and now you have 4,000 churches who aren't following what God says. I mean, I don't want to beat them up that bad. In reality, they're probably doing what they think is right in God's mind, but they have something in there that they just kind of added in 
at some point, and that's the position they're sticking with. So to wrap up this first section, did these have did these men have authority? You had the man that Christ said, I will build my church on him, Peter. You had the guy who was the author of two-thirds of the New Testament in Paul. You had the half-brother of Christ in James. This guy grew up with Christ. I'm pretty sure he knew what he meant. That's just a few of them. So you had you had real authority in this Jerusalem council. But then they had other apostles and elders that made up the true authoritative council. I want you to look at what Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure in, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The apostles were the foundation. So we know that there was a problem with heresy that was being spread through the, the act of you had to be circumcised and law had to be followed to be saved. We know the council met and they discussed this. We just went over how the council had the authority and the doctrinal positions on things like this. So now, let's get into the decision. What did the council conclude? The council's decision comes in a couple of key points, but in a very, very short letter. It's really kind of short and to the point. First, because it was from the council, they wanted to send men from the council to carry the letter. This would add some power behind what they were saying. Okay? I want you guys to think about it this way. Kids, you guys will understand this. And adults, when you were kids, you did this. So, think about when you have an argument with your brother or sister. Okay? Um... You go to your mom and dad and you tell your mom and dad what your brother and sister did because you want them to stop picking on you, right? So, you run to your mom and dad. Mom, dad! And you go over there and you're like, so-and-so's picking on me. I can't believe them. They're doing this and they're doing that. And then your mom, because your mom's busy or your dad's busy, tells you, Go tell them to stop it. So you go and you run back and you say, Mom said you have to stop it. Does that have any authority to it? What happened if Mom came back with you and says, Stop it. What? Hold on. Stop it. You stop it right now. If she says it like that, then is there authority behind what she said? Yes, because she's the mom. Same thing with if dad comes in and goes, stop it. Because mom and dad are viewed as somebody with authority. 
That's kind of what we see here in this story is that the council decided, although Paul was considered an apostle, Paul was the one that was going to the council and saying, these guys are doing this, it's wrong. What is your ruling on this? So the council sent men who were revered and, and liked by the, by the community to go as from the council so that it didn't sound like Paul came back and said, see, told you so, I knew that's what they'd say. He didn't want them to do that. So he went back with authority. So it was basically, it was the church's way of supporting Paul and Barnabas in this situation. Second key point is that they write that it seemed good and good to them and to the Holy Spirit. They were being directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, and that is the ultimate authority. The third key point is that they gave four direct commands, and I'm going to explain why in a second. Back to verse 28, it says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these essential requirements. You must abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You may, you may think to yourselves, hold on, hold on, preacher guy. Just a few weeks ago, you said that Jesus only gave us three things. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, and tell everyone about Christ. And yes, I did. That's exactly what I said. So if you look at these commands, these four that the council gave, they were specifically said to bring unity between these two groups of people. Food sacrifice to idols would not be showing love to the one true God. From blood and from meat of strangled animals was the same thing. It was an affront to God. This didn't mean that you couldn't have a rare steak. This was a ritual practice of the time of actually strangling animals and then drinking their blood. So it was an, un it was an unholy use of the animals and that would be offensive to the Jews. Um, and then you had sexual immorality, which was an affront to your neighbor. The four things were not new rules, but they were just ways to bring Jew and Gentile alike so that they could agree on things that in general they should abstain from. The biggest point here was said early on in case you missed it. This was also the third point. It was the council's effect that the elders should not burden them with anything beyond what were the essentials. Meaning no circumcision, no 613 laws, no fence laws to protect them from the 613 laws. The authority of the council and the Holy Spirit had agreed that they had freedom in Christ. So they assembled all together. When Paul and Barnabas come back with Silas, they come back. 
and they all it, the scripture says they all rejoiced why why were they rejoicing because this was good news to the Jews and the Gentiles the law was not for them as Christians the rules the constantly being reminded that they weren't good enough that was gone they had freedom in Christ that's the effect I love how Paul recounts this issue again he's in Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 6 he says for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth the persuasion is not from him who calls you a little a little leaven leavens the whole lump I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the uh, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is but if I brothers still preach circumcision why am I being persecuted in that case the offense of the cross has been removed I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another we, we have freedom Paul said he wished that those who talked about circumcision and other requirements would go ahead and just cut it all off. The damage they did to believers the, the damage that they did was all about the flesh. Paul and Christ cared about the heart. It it had nothing to do with those externals. Do we have faith? Do we love one another? Putting rules or laws that Christ himself did not give us is not love, it's control. That's why Paul was so angry about it because people were trying to control religion and they were taking people away from a relationship in order to do that we should never put our expectations on others people have their own struggles they have their own hardships they don't need us coming in and telling them they need to do this or do that now children your parents job is to tell you to do this and do that I'm talking about in your relationship with Christ how you have your relationship with Christ is between you and Christ the council very specifically said the words no unnecessary burdens they knew adding yokes would just make your walk harder Christ didn't die on the cross so that we would struggle to keep laws 
That was not the purpose. He died on the cross to give you freedom, to give you liberty. Now, liberty doesn't mean that you have license to continue to sin. Paul will address that later. But what the liberty does mean is that we're free to worship a mighty God. We're free to share His love with others. We're free from the shackles of sin. We're not freed to sin. We're freed from it. So we need to rejoice in that freedom. That's what this whole message is about here. So I want to finish up with three questions that I want you guys to seriously think about here. Seriously think about these. Are there any laws that we put on ourselves that aren't required and that may hinder us in our walk with Christ? Are, are there things that we do like I, I know when I was when I first became a Christian, I said, I'm gonna read two chapters a day of the Bible. I don't know where I came up with two chapters a day, but I came up with it. The problem was, was I had a King James only version of the Bible. I was 13. I Seriously, it would have been better to stab myself in the eyeball than to continue to try and read that because it did not make sense to me. It made literally no sense. But I was putting a law on myself. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, Thou shalt readeth two chapters of the Bible every day or you'll perish in hell. You will be sent to... It doesn't say that. I was putting a law on myself. Do we judge or look at others in a way that we shouldn't? Do we look at somebody and say, I know you're not doing what you should be doing. Are we putting laws on other people based on nothing other than our opinion do we do that do we look and say well that person's obviously not spiritual because they're not doing they're not reading their two chapters of day of their bible <laughs> so there do we do we do stuff like that do we put our actually here's a better way of putting this do we eisegete our version of scripture onto other people do we put rules on others that we probably don't even follow ourselves. And the last question, this will be the last one. Here's, this is important. What are we doing with our freedom? Are, are we blessing others and letting them know what we have? Do we share with others the freedom and the liberty that Christ has given us or do we even see ourselves as free do, do you have I, I have to tell you this was a real struggle coming out of the church that we were in um, the, this, the church that we were in was very humanistic and they firmly believed in a lot of things that were just wrong biblically 
but it put a lot of pressure on us as Christians and we never felt like we had arrived as Christians because the church put so many I don't want to say it was requirements but it was things that they thought you should be doing as a Christian to it, it would kind of be I'm, I'm going to pick on Pentecostals here for a second it's kind of like the um, the idea of you must be able to speak in tongues to be to have evidence of the Holy Spirit that's nowhere in scripture it's nowhere in there that that is a requirement of salvation but our old church kind of felt like if we weren't evangelizing enough or we weren't telling if we weren't bringing people to Christ then we weren't doing our job as Christians first and foremost I will tell you flat out it is not my job to bring people to Christ it is my job to preach the message it is not my job to save people but that was kind of the that was the vision and the hope of that church as wrong as it was but they would put that on the people so if I wasn't saving people then I wasn't doing what the church wanted me to do and I felt like I was not a good Christian the church or anybody should never put that's what chapter 15 is all about guys the church your pastor your friends your anybody should never put requirements on you that are something that come between you and Jesus Christ your relationship with Jesus Christ is yours it doesn't have anything to do with me I can help you on your walk I can help you do all the things that you need to do um, to strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ but your relationship with Jesus Christ is your relationship. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I should never be a hindrance that comes between you and Him in any way. It should always be you and Him. See, when, when I put my two hands together like this, you notice what there's not? There's, there's, there's Jesus and there's, and there's you. And if you're close and you're tight in your relationship with Jesus Christ, do you know what there's not in the middle right there? Do you know what there's not? Do you see my hands together? What's not in the middle? Room for anything else. There's not room for any nonsense. What gets in between us, between our relationship with Jesus Christ, is somebody saying, well, you know, you should really do this and that separates and you should really do this and it separates further and it's like it's literally like a pry bar a crowbar that gets in there and somebody's wedging junk in between you and Jesus Christ that should not be there you should be tight you should be together like this and stay that way so nothing gets in between there there's nothing that gets wedged there's nothing that can separate the two of you if you ever have a question on what is or what isn't required or what 
what you're supposed to do or what you're not supposed to do, you can always ask me. But I'm going to tell you, it's, there's not going to be a lot because there's three things. We talked about that last week. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Tell people about them. That's it. If you're doing those three things, everything's going to be good. All right? Let's stand up. We'll pray. All right, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the, the, the Jerusalem Council and their, their standing on, on the firm truth of your word and that we, we shouldn't have anything that separates us from you. There's no unnecessary requirements, no unnecessary laws. It, it's your love. It's, your faith, it's our faith. It's your grace. That's it, Lord. It's, it's so simple. We as humans try and make everything so complicated, and we, we make a mess of it, Lord. We just pray that you would be with us as we go out in our lives, that you would stay close in communion with us, that you would help us to see that it's just our love, Lord, and our faith that, that draws closer to you every day. So we pray that you would do that, and we pray for this congregation as they go out during the week, Lord, that they would just... Have a blessed week, that if they have any issues, that they would be resolved quickly and that you would be there with them through all of it, Lord. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.